Scotty Moore, I choose you. Scotty Moore. Scotty Moore. Use fun fiction. Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly podcast where we watch a movie, enjoy a TV show, or this time, perhaps, play a video game, and then read the beautiful things that the fans have created because of it. I am one of your hosts, Scotty Moore. And I am your other host, Brenna Clark. How we doing, people? And this week, Brenna, I want to be the very best, like no one ever was, to catch them is my real test, to train them is my cause. We're doing, we're doing Pokemon. Sometimes I think you just choose things so you can sing. What makes you say that? I it's fun. I don't know. Well, I guess. Well, I mean, one of the episodes that we thought about doing last week was, in fact, Rent. So, yeah, maybe, actually. Yeah. I mean, we just come back on it. I'm like, 5,200, no. 692 minutes. Oh, God bless. So, Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon. Um, do you remember, like, were you a... What's weird about Pokemon is this is the first one where we have to be like, wait, were you into the games? Or were you into the card game? Or were you into the movies? Or was it the TV show? Where where did your Pokemon love begin? Okay, well, for me, I don't know how I missed out on it as a child, but I, I did. I think I, I knew of it because cute, adorable, tiny, like, creatures, you know? And I, yeah. I had like cards and i had the little gold ones from uh burger king and stuff you know but <laughs> Bro, hold on. Bruna, i have not are you talking about the, like the solid gold ones yeah the uh it is literally written in my show notes burger king gold cards yeah dude that i mean that i have the i can't remember which one it is somewhere i i had two but i lost one of them anyway but Hold I, on, wait, can, before we go on, can we just say, back in the day, Burger King was on their shit with, like, were. really dope. Like, do you remember the when the Rugrats movie come out? Like, the yes. different watches that you would get that smelled? Oh! We ordered a few off of eBay, actually, <laughs> that we didn't Oh, have. no. Weird aside, it's the first time I th- I've ever thought that there was a ghost in my house was one time I left my Chucky Finster watch that smelled like bananas in a certain section of my room, I left, I came back, I it wasn't there anymore, and I've never seen it again. And my only logic is there is a ghost that A, loved bananas, and also did not know how to tell time. And I was like, this is perfect for me. Scotty, why did your brain automatically go to ghost? Why wasn't it like, there's a monkey in my house? <laughs> oh, shit! Brenna, okay. I'm not gonna lie. Two houses down, there used to be a monkey. Okay. That, Did the, the lady... monkey disappear the same time as your watch, Scotty? No, but I will say one day I came back home from school, and they were just like, "Scotty, stay in the car." <gasps> uh, okay. Why? The monkey's out. Oh. We can't risk you getting attacked by the monkey. And ever since, I've had an irrational fear of monkeys. Well, I I can understand that they're scary and right. No. 
anyway. So Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon. So yeah, I it wasn't it was just like a surface level thing, but then Garen and I started dating and then he introduced me to I think the card game first. And then from there it went to the games and then to the movies see i collected the cards but i never played the game it's fun like the the only game i've ever played that based off a uh, cartoon was of course Yu-Gi-Oh, and mm. your boy can kick some ass at Yu-Gi-Oh. but um, with pokemon it just i was like i think i know how this game works but i'm also like an eight-year-old boy yeah. and so therefore i just want to stare at this shiny picture of a charmander exactly it's that i think it's much better as like a teenager to adult when you can grasp the <laughs> mm-hmm. rules of the game Oh, it was the same way with me and Yu-Gi-Oh! Because, like, as a kid, I played Yu-Gi-Oh! But it wasn't, like, tactically being like, oh, I've got a deck that's, like, blue eyes, white dragon. <laughs> which, by the way, I do. Uh, it was instead just like, what are the most powerful cards? Put them all in the deck! It doesn't matter if I can't summon them! And then when I grew up, like, you really were able to kind of grasp things, so I could see that. Right. See, with me, my introduction was, um, it was, I can't remember if it was a Saturday or a school day, I just know we were leaving for somewhere, and the episode Tower of Terror, which is the <laughs> fucking dope-ass, every goth kid in the world, I think, started off their career as a goth with this episode, where, like, the Haunter and uh, all of, like, the ghost-type Pokemon showed up at once, right. and I watched the last ten minutes of it, and was instantly like, I very rarely get hooked on a show, but I was like, Mom, I gotta make sure I watch every episode of this TV show. I was actually reading about that episode, and it was pulled from the U.S. after 9-11 because it had Tower in the name. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, then they would have to pull an entire ride from fucking Disney World at that point. Well, yeah, I guess they couldn't go that far. Yeah. But yeah, I re- I remember like at that point that's when the addiction began and like I got all the VHS tapes of old Pokemon episodes including fucking Bye Bye Butterfree also Aww. known as that bullshit episode. I like that episode. Oh, I love that episode. My tear ducts don't because <laughs> by the end I'm like this is some bullshit. Well, I'm just going to tell you like there's a lot of fucked up things that happen in the Pokemon world. Like, for example, Charmander, if his little tiny light goes out on his tail, he dies. Oh, Brenna, don't bring that... Because there's a fucking episode where they get trapped in the cave, and, like, I think it's Bulbasaur holds out a leaf over this small dwindling flame on his tail, and I'm like, no! Charmander! And then you have Cubone, who is literally wearing the skull of his dead mother. Oh, yeah. Well, no, if you read, like, Pokedex descriptions on some of the Pokemon, some of them are, like, insanely buckwild. Like, they're terrifying when you actually break it down. Yeah, there's a, a lot of cute things that are deadly. Oh, shit, I didn't... Wait, hold on. Hmm. Apparently, Kadabra is a fucking just kid. A, ki- a kid? The, the, 
<laughs> it's a, just a human, and people are capturing them and making them fight for sport. What? Yeah, the fire red Pokedex entry says, It happened one morning. A boy with extrasensory powers awoke in his bed, transformed into Kadabra, which is also the beginning of my favorite Franz Kafka novel, but, like, what the fuck? I, this is a new development for me. I did not know this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found on dorkly.com the 15 most disturbing Pokedex entries, and oh my god. Oh, Haunter, its tongue is made of gas. If licked, its victims start shaking constantly until death eventually comes. <laughs> and children would go to seek them out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Honedge, who is the... It's literally just a fucking sword, Brenna. Yeah. Honedge is just a sword. If anyone dares to grab its hilt, it wraps a blue cloth around that person's arm and drains its life energy completely. Uh, (laughs) It's amazing how they they can make creatures out of inanimate objects. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Dara- well, no, with me, it's the opposite. How many of these that are just fucking dudes? Like, Mr. Mime yeah. is literally just a person, and they're like, fight for my amusement, Mime. <laughs> what else are you gonna do with a mime? I don't know. Yeah. What? Darumaka, who I don't know that well, apparently was from Black and White, Darumaka's droppings are hot, so people, u- so people used to put them in their clothes to keep themselves warm. So this homeboy's just shitting out hot hands everywhere. <laughs> oh, no. He's just like, bloop, bloop. I hope that's the exact noise it makes when it poops. <laughs> so- Bennett, an abandoned plush doll, became this Pokemon. They oh, are said no. to live in garbage dumps and wander about in search of the children that threw them away. Toy Story 4 is weird. I did not. Why would you choose? It is 923 at night. I have to go to bed after this. <laughs> Why would you read me that? I deal with this emotionally. Um, yeah. Pokemon, okay, what part, and it's not even a question of if you did, because I know you did. What part of Pokemon the movie did you cry at the hardest? Scotty, are we really asking this question? No, because I have my answer, because I think it was the first time I ever cried during a film, so I want you to go first. I, okay, I feel like that that's the movie, right, where Ash has turned to stone and Pikachu is, like, crying yes. over his body. Okay, then there. see with me i have a different one and this is when mewtwo because apparently as a kid i was like fuck humans i don't care so when ash got turned to stone i was just like ah this might as well happen today um the other one though is when he makes all the clones of the pokemon and force them to fight each other Mm. and then there's the scene where the two pikachus are like just bitch slapping each other in the face and crying so hard i was in tears in the theater brett i was <laughs> like these two beautiful creatures i know bless i don't, i never really considered the repercussions i guess of this yeah. enslavement that was happening 
It's horrifying. Like, no, that was the first time I was like, I'm gonna be a vegan when I grow up. This is some bullshit. And then my parents are like, you wanna go to KFC? Yes. Fuck yeah, I wanna go to KFC. I I was reading about all of the, um, I guess, backlash when it made its crossover into the United States because we are so accepting here in the US of A. Um, it, not only from vegans, but from Christians. Oh, Brenna, you're talking to the person that was not allowed to watch Harry Potter as a child because J.K. It wasn't even because, like, Wizards are the devil. It was because, like, J.K. Rowling, Rowling, and I don't even know if this is true. It might have been something they just fucking made up. J.K. Rowling is an atheist, and they were what? like, we're not, we ain't supporting no dang atheists. Hold on, I have to Google this now because I don't know if that's true or not. Which it doesn't which matter, po- but... Well, no, not even that. I'm like, do you know how much shit we watch that atheists are probably involved with? I hate to break it to you. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. But, yeah, they... Did you know that in 1999... Um... Sorry. That the, the, the Christian community, a Mr. David Tate, made Christian power cards... Or, oh, please, Brenna, yes. Instead of small, beautiful creatures, um, you, you, I guess, had Bible figures. Moses, I choose you. Use flood. <laughs> Use flood! <laughs> I don't... I, 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 I just... I am flabbergasted to the lengths that people will go through to... Yeah. Over a card game. Also, fun fact, after my quick Google search, she is in fact a Christian, J.K. Rowling. I was like, that does not sound right to me. (laughs) I'm really mad that the fucking Christian power cards aren't, they didn't make up their own, like, crucichu, like, things like that. Um, Although I did find a card right now that's literally just a Pokemon card, but it says a holy Bible at the top. With the effects power of Christ, if the defending Pokemon is dark type, it forfeits, and 66 <laughs> books. It forfeits. Oh, oh no, I shouldn't have started Googling this, because now I've got Jesus Grimace, the Pokemon card. Jesus Grimace? Yes, it's Grimace, but he's Jesus? Yeah, I'm not just gonna run away from that one very quickly. Yes, delete um, your search history. D- delete everything. Okay, now on to happy Pokemon things. The yeah. fucking Squirtle, the Squirtle Squatter pimps. I just want to break that down right now. Oh my god, Squirtle Squad. The Squirtle Squad. Uh, like I have Squirtle Squad glasses that I wear on the reg, and it until I googled what they looked like because I thought they all had like those cool, like sharp V yeah. sunglasses. No, those round ass like John Lennon glasses. I wear a pair of every day. And if anyone's like John Lennon, nah, Squirtle Squad, bitch. <laughs> oh my god. See, the Pokemon was. Did you ever have as a kid? Like, an image? It's it's hard to say. Like, an image or a toy or something that you didn't even like playing with. You just liked staring at it like a psychopath? Um, probably, but I can't think of it right now. Like, I had a Power Rangers toy that was, like, shiny blue. And it was the first ever, like, 
shiny metallic thing I ever owned, and I guess it was my inner redneck that was just like, that's fucking shiny, <laughs> and I just stared at it. Po- I had so many Pokemon cards that were like this, where I was just like, that's a cute fella right there. Hey, buddy. Speaking of, who is your favorite Pokemon? Well, okay. I my my go to answer when like I talk to kids is Gyarados, because Gyarados is a badass, and like I can really get behind the story of a small, weak motherfucker like a Magikarp growing up to be this big badass thing. Right. To the point where I do want a tattoo of a Gyarados wrapped around a Magikarp, and at the top of it says "Good things come to those who wait." I love it. Um, but I was thinking about it earlier, and it's not. It it's not my favorite, but it's the first one I really grew attached to, because with me, um, I I played Gen One like I played Red and Blue, and it was all right. Like I played it and I liked the Pokemon. Like I remember Togepi and shit and that being dope. And because as a kid, I had this, I had the power fantasy of just like I want all the strongest Pokemon so I can kick ass as fast as I can. And then I found the love of my life, my favorite, the first Pokemon I ever actually grew attached to, fucking Totodile. Oh! Totodile is the best. I love me some Totodile. I will definitely say that was not what I was expecting. Oh, really? Where, where were you thinking? Like a Charmander? Or no, a... I don't really know. I, 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 don't, I just did not think about that at all. Yeah, man, I'm a Totodile boy. Okay, okay, now on to you. Your favorite Pokemon. Well, I mean, okay, I was going to say, well, why don't you look at my username for everything? But that could be a multitude of things. It's Bulbasaur. Oh, okay. I'm like, wait, hold on. Dinosaur? Yeah. Tyrannosaur? Yeah. No? No, it's Bulbasaur. And I can't, I guess I'm a, a grass... Maine, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And yeah. um, he was the first starter that I had, I, I think, in the games and in the card game. And I just, I have a deep connection to that little amphibian with a frog on it, with a plant on his back. See, with me, um, back when I was like really, firstly, my first time I ever got a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon cards, I got them confiscated during gym class, and I will never forgive the fucking teacher who took them from me, because I, right. I, I think I had a hollow Charizard in there, so he is a piece of actual human shit. Yes. But um, the most I ever spent on a Pokemon card was, I think, like 20 bucks, like That's 15 bucks. for in, like, kid money. Yeah, dude, and it was for a holographic... Blastoise, nice. and I love that bitch so much. So I, if you asked me to pick Gen One, who my favorite is, I think if I was just being lazy and didn't want to think, I'd say you know Charmander and those three because those are the classics. But I don't know. There's some about that Squirtle to Blastoise evolutions that I really dig. It is very nice. Mm-hmm. Those fucking do- like cannons, dude. Oh yeah. Do you remember? Um, what was the weirdest piece of Pokemon paraphernalia you ever had? Or y- you said you weren't really into that world. Yeah, I mean, it. I was, like, just, oh, cute stuff. And, it, yeah, I like right. animals, so it was just kind of like that. But, honestly, I know we've already talked about it, but why, 
why make a a, a gold trading card? Solid gold. I don't... Not, fo- not foil. These bitches were like probably a quarter to a half inch thick. And they were heavy as hell. And yep. you gave them to children who, who don't know what the like value of such is. I don't... Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that? See, with me, because my grandparents own an arcade, they wanted to get things Wait, that wait, can't... wait, wait, wait. They what? Uh, they own an arcade. They what? They, the place with the games where the people play and win the tickets, they own one. I'm just learning so much about you right now. Where? <laughs> and can I go for free? I mean, you don't have to pay to go I into know, arcade. I know, but I want to play games for free. Now that, I don't know, because they are on a quarter base system, which means they would have to give you just fucking money. Yeah. And be like, here's five dollars. Yeah. But I can get you on go-karts for free. Yes, there are go-karts. Awesome. Um, anyways, Morris Family Fun Center, Oxford, Alabama. Got it. Um, they, they had to, they wanted to buy, like, cool stuff for ticket prizes, which led to us getting a lot of, like weird Pokemon shit that didn't sell that well. Like a Pokemon... I don't know how to describe it. It was like spinning tops, except it wasn't a top. It was a small gold coin, and you spun the gold coin and then spun another one, and they tried to knock them out of a circle, and they had Pokemon on them. I'm not... Still don't know how the fuck that game worked. So, like, Beyblades, then? It was like shitty Beyblades where they weren't tops. They were solid discs of metal. Um, I mean, I guess that's fun. And I felt like a rich king because I kept getting... And they came in like discs, like a CD disc. A plastic jewel case with only three of them in there. But I remember getting like 15 and feeling like a king. I was like, got him. And then also we had Pokemon marbles. Oh, oh, I saw some of those at, um, at a, what are those called? Not a thrift store, but like a flea market. And I was so excited about it. And I bought all of my favorite Pokemon out of it. Nice. Yeah. I, I, with us, they came in like big ass bags. Yeah. So they would just give us massive bags of like Pokemon marbles. But other than that, like I, I mostly just kind of got. Like the card, ex- I wasn't as crazy as I was with Yu Gi Oh! Because with Yu Gi Oh! I went out and like bought video games just to rip the cards out and then mm-hmm. return the video game without the cards in it, right? Uh, meanwhile, with Pokemon, I was just like, We need to go see the movie because I do not have all the cards yet, mom. <laughs> I need I need the Mew that looks like it was made in Egypt, please. Oh, I have that somewhere. Brenna, everyone has that. <laughs> if you don't have that, you didn't have a childhood. You have it's like your own personal like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't think I'm old old enough? Here, let me just show you. That needs to be a new form of ID at I, bars is the fucking Mew card. I was about to say I need to start keeping that in my wallet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, can we see your ID? Uh, yes, I believe I have it right here. That's Mew. Thank you very much. Yep, the, put, take a closer look at it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Yes, okay, this will do ju- do just fine. <laughs> then they try to take it, and you're like, no, 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 give it back. <laughs> but you know the only thing worth more than the Mew 
this is a good segue. What's worth more than the music? <laughs> All of our lovely patrons at patreon.com slash a load of BS. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to support Fun Fiction and all the other BS Network ch- shows, you can at patreon.com slash a load of BS. And, of course, you get access to our exclusive Discord over there, which I need to get the other hosts on the Discord. I realized that earlier today that, like, no one's on there. So you get access to that, and you get shouted out on the podcast of your choice, but we don't have any funny acts on here yet. Funny Fana- acts? Whoa! Fanatics! Yeah. That has to be, that has to be our fucking, the gr- our collective. That's good. So, we need some fanatics for fun fiction, so if you want to get shouted out, make sure to donate at patreon.com slash a load of BS. Now, B, we've talked at almost ad infinitum about all of the random shit in Pokemon. Indeed. But now it's time to get into what the fans did. Um, so, I mean, do you, what you bring to the table this week, B? Because I got a, I got a banger. When you say that, that means it's terrible. I mean, you'll see. Oh, God. Okay. What I have today is Almost Like Flying by Starling Knight, and I'll hop right in. Okay. <laughs> There's... I, don't, I, I don't have my ocarina this week, oh. so I'm going to be paying full attention. Fucking good, because you better be listening to hell to me. Thank you. <clears throat> There's a feeling of terrifying lightness, and then it's like the world is still there, but she's been dissolved and compressed and compacted into a singular tiny point in space. She can't see, but she can feel the ground beneath her and hear echoes of sounds. Panic blooms in her, and she tries to move to expand, to break the shackles holding her, but she's so, so tired. It closes further, and then something that feels like the cage trickle into her head and stays there, a web of metal cooling around her mind. She struggles. She tries to struggle, but she can't anymore. Gotcha, she hears. We caught a scyther. How about that, Ember? Reckon we'll win the bug-catching contest now? The cage in her mind burns icy cold, and the raw meaning of the words filter through to her mind. She lashes out feebly one more time and then sinks back into the cage. It surrounds her, welcomes her, takes her comfortingly into itself, and she can't fight back anymore. There is a voice. Welcome, Scyther. You have been compressed and placed in a capsule called a Pokeball for the duration of your time with your new owner. You have accepted the Pokeball software's ventures into your brain space. Pokeball has now synced with you. This edition of the Pokeball has installed translation system so you can understand your trainer, accident prevention system to prevent accidents, status and capability reading system so your trainer can read your status and capability, leash system to prevent fleeing, HM slash TM installation system so HM slash TMs can be installed, move categorational system for categorizing, Oh no, please no, this isn't real. She can't be captured. The humans have her. They're going to make her fight. No, 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 no. She can't, she won't, she doesn't go away. I just, I know just the name, the human booms. What do you think of Emerald? The cage's voice starts up again. New designation, Emerald. Emerald slash Scyther, you have been notified of new designation. No room and party for Emerald slash Scyther. Send to someone's PC? Yes. Skur isn't listening. She can only curl into herself in numb horror as the cage dissolves around her into endless, shifting, white-gray-black. When the world fades back into place, the first thing Skur does is open her eyes and gape at how beautiful it is. 
Colors, light, sounds, it's an overload of sensation compared to the enforced nothing she's endured for who knows how long. She's sitting in a field of flowers. There's a fence and a house nearby. She gives a small start at knowing the terms. House, a human dwelling. The second thing she does is open her wings and try to fly far, far away, but she can't. The web of steel clutches at the back of her mind prevents her from doing so. Nausea wells up in her until she gasps. It only mm-hmm. recedes when she stops thinking about the very concept. Amazing, isn't it? It's Pokemon's voice, thankfully. She freezes for a moment, then whirls around. It's the Quilliva. No, he's a Typhlosion now. When did, exactly did it evolve? How long has she been stuck in there? Where am I? We're at the place Lyra sometimes takes us to relax and get stronger. Hey, being stuck in the box, it's pretty tough, the Typhlosion says sympathetically. I've been in there a few times myself. You've been in there for how long? Months? I couldn't stand a few days. Months, Skirt echoes. Months. I know, how awful, he shudders. You're lucky she took you out, Skirt screams. The, ha- the sound is harsh and discordant and occasionally verges on re- a really loud strangled hiss. She rushes at him, eyes wild, and takes a swipe. Then she runs right past him. She has to get out of here. She has to get out. She has to find Kryn and the swarm and fly away, fly far, far away. She stops, her scythe trembling just a short space away from slicing through the pathetic little fence around the flower field, and then she doubles over and throws up, coughing. The chewed remains of a ladybug, ladybug eye splatter into the grass. Her muscles have locked up and she can't move, though she's straining every limb for escape. Slowly, she relaxes her muscles, choking down the impulse to retch. I'm not going to run away, she says softly. No change. I won't. I promise. The nausea surges again, and this time it's accompanied by waves of burning pain. I won't. You've got to mean it, the typhlosion calls from behind her. Skur takes a deep breath and then very carefully doesn't consider running away. Trembling, she sinks to the ground. The typhlosion approaches her from behind. Lyra's just gone on some human business. Um, she left us in the Pokemon daycare for a rest, you know, I really think she wants you on the team. I think she's going to train you. It's a very great honor. Out of all the Pokemon sitting in the box, she picked you. Skur doesn't know what she's feeling. It's all new and frightening and complicated. It's hate and terror and resentment all rolled up into one and tinged with the tiniest hint of a flattered glow. Why? She thinks. Why did the trainer pick me? How is that fair? What about those other Pokemon trapped in the box who will never see the world again? Why did she pick me at all? If she hadn't, I wouldn't been here. I'd be on my way south for the winter, and the trainer wouldn't have a scyther. Good riddance. She put us all in the box in the first place, she growled. They're, that's just like a human. Why did she have to imprison all those Pokemon? The Typhlosion shrugs. I don't really understand you. She's not imprisoning you at all. She's taking you out of the wild to make friends with you. You'll be much better treated here. Even when you're in the box, you don't have to worry about hunting for food or fighting for survival. I thought humans made you fight for a living. It's not to the death. How disgusting, she says. You you trained pet. Have you ever had to live on your own? I was hatched in the care of trainers, he says simply. She hisses at him. I hate you, you pampered, weak, pathetic. His blow knocks her to the ground as she sees stars. The air shimmers with heat, and it's coming from him. I nearly just knocked you out in one hit, he says. And then, trained Pokemon are better than wild ones. That's all he needs to say because she knows in her bones that he's right. Skur crawls backwards rapidly, staying well out of his range and glares at him. She's pleased when he looks a little perturbed. 
a sight they're glaring at you with full force is something to be reckoned with. And then she realizes, properly realizes exactly what this whole thing means. She's going to have to fight. She's going to be trained. Not if I can help it, she snaps. What? I'm not going to be trained, she said defiantly. I don't like battling. I want to go back to my swarm. Why? Typhlosion seemed puzzled. Do you dislike violence? You are a wild Pokemon. How is hunting and killing other Pokemon for your survival better than battling? It's not to the death. He says this in a calm, reasonable tone of voice, and she hates him for it. It's dishonest. She says it's so fake. She's thought about this. Cut a Rattata's head off and eat it, and it's dead. It won't feel any more pain, but battling, it's pretend fighting. It's fake, and it still hurts. And how can it be for fun if you're ordered to do it? He shrugs. I'm Blaze, he says. She gave us nicknames. She cares about us, you know. I'm Skur. She blinks and looks at him suspiciously. I thought you were called Ember. Lyra changed it. And you just went along with it just like that? It was your name. She shakes her head. Blaze isn't a real name anyway. It's like if she was named after the color of her shell or the fact that she had blaze on her blades on her forelegs that cut things. It is my real name, Blaze mutters. Lyra gave it to me. How more real can you get? And then quietly, I don't have anything but what she gives me. Well, I do, Skur says. No, wait, she did. Every time she thinks about even the possibility of escape, she's punished. She isn't allowed to think about it, and that means she can't. It's hopelessly demoralizing. You are named after the color of your shell anyway, says Blaze. She called you Emerald, remember? Oh, so she did, Skur snorts. Well, I won't accept it. Skur's a weird name. It's my mother's name, she snaps, and her grandmother's and her great-grandmother's. If she has a daughter, her name will be Skur. I'm not throwing it away just because some human. How can you be so ungrateful? He says it quietly, but it stops her short. She's going to make you everything you are, you'll see. Then he gets down on all fours and lopes off into a corner to sit by himself. Skur just shakes her head in disbelief. You'll see, he said, and now she's terrified at the thought that she will. The end. I'm gonna be a vegan. Fuck this shit. <laughs> there's why you? Why would you do this to me? There's more to the story that makes it even worse, but I just picked like the <laughs> heaviest part. Brenna, why? Oh my god! For fun. It's fun fiction. What is this Shawshank Redemption bullshit you've put our fans through? Emerald Sather was a very rich Sather, and then one day he was captured. And then one day he made his escape through 90 miles of shit. They loved it. Just ask them. Didn't you, fans? Oh. The crowd goes wild. <sighs> no. All right. Let's move on to mine. And mine is based off of not just Pokemon, but uh, do you know what a Nuzlocke is? Yes. It For the people who don't know, it is a specific way of playing Pokemon uh, where there's a bunch of different rules, but the main one being, if your Pokemon faints, they die. Okay. <laughs> yes. So this is based off a Nuzlocke that is from the internet, a famous Nuzlocke created by one Griffin McElroy. No! Yes. All right, let's do it. And so this is based off of his Nuzlocke run. I literally Googled Griffin McElroy Pokemon fan fan fiction, and I was like, there's probably no way. Oh, shit, there is. 
And this is called Death of a Sparrow, called by Ion the Sparrow. <clears throat> he walks with a tame fox by his side, headed straight into the deep brush, as though the growing darkness brought on by limbs spreading overhead doesn't bother him at all. You hear him before you see him, and you see him long before he sees you. There's something fascinated in the behavior of a person who doesn't know they're being watched, and this is what you're caught by. Not by the efforts of some tame fox, not by the magic of a ball, and he kneels in front of you, faces, face inches from a beak, sharp enough and quick enough to put out his eyes before he could even think of pulling back. His eyes are bright. This is a new hat, he says. He touches the brim of the red cap on his head. Do you like it? Dark things curl in the shadows all around you, but he, he is bright. He rests his hands on his knees and watches you. What should I name you? He asks. What's a fun name to give a bird? To name a thing before you know it? And to think that gives you ownership over it, that, that is an act of ignorance. But there's nothing in his voice but wonder, and his eye, his hands are open. You look at the fox with new eyes. The pole in your chest says the decision's already been made. You will give in to your tameness with the full knowledge that you'll live to regret it, because to give a name to the unknown is an act of ignorance, but to answer to that name, that's an act of love. He sees you kill for the first time in that forest, and he laughs. He's charmed by the waving, dancing motions of the monster you face, and he coos. He sees a caterpillar. You see a snake who had been given poison to cover the rest of its body, to go with the poison that coats its teeth. It makes one last death rattle under your talons, and the boy seems surprised at your strength. He looks down from on high, and you realize he sees you as something small, as though he has not thought at all about what it takes to survive in a forest full of monsters as a little brown bird. And you realize it's not that he's unbothered by the darkness, but he can't see it at all. He talks to you, but when you say... Through those doors are people who will hurt us, people who will try to take me from you. He laughs. He talks about the sound of your voice, turns to pose for you, fingers holding out the hem of his t-shirt for you to see. Uh, do you like this look? I think it's good for spring. He says with clear eyes and a lifted face. I want to be great. As if greatness were not built by breaking others, not a thing marked out with scorched earth and spilled blood. I want to be the greatest that ever was. You say, greatness is defined by striving. And what is greatness without sacrifice? And those words come back to you when you bounce hard off an iron shell. You hold that tattered wing close to your chest, lift the parts of your body that will respond to you, and end the thing across from you before it can end you. He smiles. He says, I want to be great while knowing nothing, seeing nothing. And you want it for him. You'll need to grow. Your experience changes you. You claim your weapons as the spoils of survival, the reward for making it this far. When he sees you, he calls you beautiful. The first death is red blood on white limbs and the shafts of broken feathers caught between canine teeth. In life, he hovered with wings outstretched, but in death, his form is crumpled, flesh folded, and torn easily as paper. The boy watches him fall, cries out in shock. 
You see pain on his face and quick, quick anger. Get in there, he says. Get him. And you do. You launch into battle with not a single second wasted on fear or question. There's no time for that. There's no time for anything but your claws outstretched. It will not be until, it will not be until much, much later that you realize he witnessed a death and hesitated not a single second before he threw you in too. When you recover and pull through, he's delighted. He calls you a devastator, a weapon. He bedecks himself and he basks in the mirror, but he always looks away quickly. He never studies the image long. He claims on occasion to see ghosts, and you see him at night. You hear the way he cries out in his sleep like a thing haunted. The bodies pile in your shared wake. Following the sink crunch of a shattered shell and light fading from once sharp eyes, he sends you in for the first time with a look of uncertainty. For the first time, he's worried you won't return. You think he's learned from about the finality of things, that when you are scraped open, it is your real heart showing, that the blood and the muscle and the gristle are all you have and all you will ever have to offer, that when they are gone, they're gone. You think he understands, but when he sees a white bird, he makes up a story to dismiss the finality of death. You could hate him. You can't understand how, how he can ignore death when the bodies are laid out slick and identical, side by side, all in a row. You wonder if he believes his own story, if his hesitations, if the flickers of darkness in the corner of his eye mean anything. You... You will have to carry the burden of truth for both of you, and you will need strength and merciless judgment and to be sliced free of your fear. You have to become what you were created for. Do what you were shaped to do. You change yourself for both of you. You are not bedecked or adorned with sharpness now. You are the razor. You do not push the air in front of you. You yourself are the battering ram, the striking blow, the falling thunderbolt. He sees, but he cannot focus. His eyes are caught on trappings. But for you, height gives an advantage. From above, the layout is crystal clear. You're far enough and brutal enough that nothing touches you and nothing hurts. But every fight is a game of chance. For every missed blow, a future one waits to land. When you are knocked from the sky and brutalized by the earth, he asks why he didn't see before. He asks how he could, how could he have not aided you earlier, the whole time unblinking and the whole time blind. There is an end. The whole point is that there is an end. There is a bridge that he will cross and you will not. You lived because he called you into being and because you answered him. You died because he cannot grasp that your death was possible. The whole point was that your death was possible, but it was an idea too slippery to hold on to. The mind shies away. The mind, the mind only protects itself. He has moved on. He has already crossed. The end. So I would just like to take this time to say that we started this nice little 
family-friendly episode of the podcast, and it has went straight to hell. (laughs) (laughs) What makes you say that? It's like we dropped, like, the huge weight (laughs) of uh, uh, existentialism on our listeners. Yep, we've kind of brought it up. Also, the whole time I forgot what he had named his Spiro, and it was Beekman. Ah. So, oh, Beekman. Apparently Beekman had some dark shit going on in the background, B. Ooh, I need to take a deep breath. Oofa doofa. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah, um. Sorry, everyone at home. <clears throat> I'm especially sorry because I'm afraid to say it's not going to get any better from here. No! (laughs) (laughs) Well, hold on. I like mine was a laugh of, oh no, yours was an evil scientist laugh of, I'm about to wreck all you shits. I'm just saying, I I at least thought that you would do something, like, funny or gross, but mm, no, we just, we, uh, we screwed it. (laughs) Which <laughs> we have we have rolled the proverbial uh eagle what's it called when you get three in a bowling? Uh I don't know. Turkey. We've <laughs> rolled the proverbial turkey on fucking your day up this week. Pokemon turkey. Pokemon turkey. So before you before we fuck it up anymore, guys, make sure to go to merch.aloadofpurevs.com <laughs> and buy our shirts. <laughs> this month's shirt is just a dead spiral. <laughs> Uh, we got shirts for BS. Fuck it. You guys know. There's a bunch of stuff that you can get on shirts. So get it at merch.aloodofpurebs.com. Br- oh, oh, fuck. Brenna. Brenna. You want your ocarina now, don't you, Scotty? <laughs> <laughs> well, your ocarina won't save you now. Okay. So... It's time to... So, what we've essentially just did is delivered the one-two punch, and you're about to give the uppercut that sends everyone crying home. Well, to be fair, our first segment was also talking about, man, Pokemon was fucked up, and Pokemon made us cry a lot. I didn't think it could do that. (laughs) Proceed to us, using Pokemon to destroy people's minds. You're welcome, listeners. We love you so much. All right. Without further ado, uh, here we go. (laughs) Somewhere along the way, our lineage was cursed. No one really remembers the way. Fuck off, fuck (laughs) off. You can't begin some shit like that and not expect to destroy some people. No one really remembers the way things were before everything. Our main predator was always the Mandibuzz. They are a fierce Pokemon race, not only feasting on the bones of their prey, but also using them for accessories. If one of your own was taking, taken by one of these immense birds, you could almost count on seeing parts of them again. Their femur could wind up tangled in the tufts of chocolate-colored co- feathers sitting atop its otherwise bare pink head, or their jaw could be dragged across its midsection as some macabre version of a skirt a human might wear. They were always impossibly female, And a lot of us wonder if maybe it was because of the human intervention that it stayed that way. The females were always more ruthless, more willing to fight. They did the hunting and the building of nests. What bones they didn't use for their own decoration winded up hanging in the crook of tree limbs and casing their young. 
The males, before they went extinct, mostly kept to themselves in the nests or surrounding the tree in case of any intruders. We assume that all of them were caught by some trainer, or whatever they call themselves, and when they found they weren't cooperative in the slightest, they stuffed them in a pokeball and transferred their code to some long-forgotten computer collecting dust in the back of a poke center. Once the humans had collected all the females they could track down in the wild, our kind flourished. We were never the kind of beasts any trainer wanted. We were cute, sure, but simple companionship only takes you so far in this world. We were left pretty much alone until the demand for the bird of prey sent human minds into overdrive. Knowing they had put a dam in the flowing waters of the Mandibuzz life cycle, they trapped them in a confined space with dittos. At first, they rejected the attempt at mating, preferring instead to torture the gelatinous pur purple gelatinous blobs. However, it wasn't long before the Mandibuzz figured out that the ditto was a creature devoid of bones and quickly lost interest in the attack. I guess they got wise to the idea that they would die out if they didn't relent, though, so nature took its course. Something in the breeding went horrifyingly wrong, or I guess for them, incredibly right. This new race was faster, slicker, and hungrier, so much so that trainers started to release them back into the wild after they either attacked them or the other Pokemon in their party. They were back in their habitat, and we were back on the menu. We all know about the first Cubone to wear the skull. A particularly nasty Mandibuzz grew tired of picking on the young, the weak. It shunned the easy prey, and it took upon itself to stalk a healthy mother, taking her in its sharp black talons and carrying her off into the night. Everyone could hear her sharp, panicked screams as their combined forms grew smaller and smaller in the sky. Her offspring, who had been sleeping beside her, saw the whole thing. I can't tell you what made him follow the direction they flew off in. I'm not sure if he was born without that voice in your head that tells you things might be dangerous or he w if he was just so fucked up from watching his world fall apart in one swift motion that he snapped. Whatever it was, it changed everything. He set out on foot into the pitch black, following dropped feathers, blood droplets, and distant cries. He walked and he walked until the trail went cold. By this time, the sun had risen and his eyes were adjusting to the morning light. That's when he saw them, the bones. They were littered across the ground like a grotesque kind of yellow brick road. He grabbed a long, sun-bleached humerus from the path and armed himself with it. He was on high alert, checking the sky for every few feet to make sure there were no dark shadows following him or circling the air foretelling his early demise. Against all odds, he made it into their territory. I'm sure you've seen a mandibuzz or two in your lifetime, and if not, you're not really missing out. They all look pretty much the same, just varying in size and bone preference. I think the only reason he could determine which of the birds took his mom was from the fresh meat strewn on the ground beneath its pale pink legs. It had fought off its companions, throwing them bones it didn't want. They caught them in their inky beaks, ripping small bits of flesh that the leader had clearly missed, leaving the bones shining as white as froth topping a crashing wave. There was an unholy din, filling the air with a sound akin to laughter. It stopped abruptly as the small cubone approached. They took him in with their red, beady eyes, and the focus of his mission stopped picking his mother's skull apart to take him in. It swallowed one of her eyes, popping it like a grape. It opened, <laughs> it opened its beak into something that resembled a grin and spread its wings wide, issuing a challenge. Blind rage filled the cubone then, and he tossed the bone at the bird's head. It connected, and the mandibuzz closed its mighty jaw, taking in the creature with new respect. 
It charged him, and the cubone leapt off his feet, taking the bone adorning his foe's scalp. He wielded it like a samurai, slicing this way and that until the cubone was breathless and the mandibuzz was dead. The others of its species flew away into distant trees. The cubone sank down to his mother bones, mother's bones and wept. I've heard sounds like it for many years now, so I'm well aware of the heart-wrenching keening that conveys a warning like no other. The sound unnerved the winged creatures that were studying him. Sensing weakness, a few dropped down to avenge their fallen sister. Hearing their wings flap, the cubone snapped to attention and on a rush of adrenaline grabbed his mother's skull and threw it over his head like armor. The bird smacked into it, expecting to meet soft flesh, but instead connecting with unyielding bone. Their maws cracked open, sending a chorus of screeching into the air. The cubone, cubone took its chance then and ran. He made his way back to his pack, and he was never the same. He wouldn't communicate with anyone. He barely ate. It seemed as though he never slept, preferring to sit in the spot where his mother's warmth had once been and cry. As he grew worse, so did the curiosity of his species. They began to dig up their dead and put them on the skulls of the predecessors. They trained in combat with each other, vowing that such an attack would never happen again. If it did, they would be prepared for it. A human stumbled upon their hiding spot one fateful day and caught sight of a sparring match with power-hungry eyes. He trapped a cubone and rushed off to the nearest town. Mere days later, the area swarmed with trainers desperate for a shiny new toy of their own. They had witnessed the cubone's prowess with its bone weapon, and its novelty was welcomed in an environment that had long since grown stagnant. As it often happens, once humans stick their hands in it, the natural order of our lives as we know it shifted. We, like the mandibuzz species before us, were unable to live up to their expectations. The few that had joined up in arms with the armored cubone were instructed by their new owners to keep their makeshift helmets on at all times, leaving them to relearn how to eat, sleep, and thrive. They found themselves becoming one with their family's bones. Over time, their skin fused with the skulls until they were impossible to remove. If it sounds terrifying to you, I'm sure you can imagine how the rest of us felt about it. However, underneath that terror was a bizarre longing. I don't know if it's the call of companionship, the thrill of the fight, or the desperate urge to fit in that sent our kind over the edge. We, learned an, we earned a new nickname, the Lonely Pokemon. We no longer traveled in packs, preferring to leave even our families behind for fear of being taken down by one of our own. I remember my own mother stealing away in the middle of the night, taking nothing but me and her will to live. She knew I would probably grow up one day to betray her, but at that time, nothing mattered but a mother's love. She's told me stories of old days far beyond her years when we barely even knew how to raise our own claws in self-defense. No one had seen hide nor feather of Amanda Buzz in years now. They were fairy tales as far as we were concerned. My mother didn't have a skull accessory of her own to speak of. She lived with her head in the clouds, believing that one day we would return to our former selves. I tried to live like her. I really did. It was a day like any other. We left the safety of our forest brush to find berries in a clearing. The air was still, and the scent of distant cherry blossom trees drifted, drifted from a neighboring town. My mother liked to stay, stay somewhat close to civilization, telling me that the rest of our kind were wary of humans and were less likely to find us mixed in with their chatter and noise. What she didn't count on was a small, black-haired boy. He waltzed into the woods one day, clearly on a mission. We had hidden low in the tall grass upon hearing his footsteps, but as he stepped close to me, my mom shot up defensively. He grinned broadly and exclaimed with excitement, Oh, wow, a wild Pokemon! 
He fiddled with a strap of leather around his waist and brought out a small red and white ball. He clutched it in his palm and called a figure forth. Pikachu, I choose you. My mother shot me a hard look and I read her intention loud and clear. I kept my body low and tried to suppress the whimpers that were climbing up my throat. Her legs parted, setting up a battle stance. She bared her teeth, trying to look menacing. Only I knew that she was bluffing. Having never trained to fight, and even if she had, there were no bones around that she could wield. The small trainer's grin widened as a yellow rodent with pulsing blue energy circling its whiskers emerged from the ball, blinking to focus in the daylight. It caught sight of my mom and stiffened, immediately ready for a fight. The boy chuckled. All right, Pikachu, let's practice. Use Electro Ball. A yellow orb of power appeared in front of Pikachu, and he tossed it at my mother. It looked as though the air was feeding it, and it grew almost triple in size before it reached her. She was not quick enough, and it smacked into her, sending electricity through her very veins. She writhed in pain, but managed to stand again, legs wobbling. She chewed on a nearby berry, relieving the effects of the shock. The trainer rubbed his chin and stared hard at her. Suddenly, he snapped his fingers. Pikachu, use Thunderbolt! As if called down by some long-forgotten god, a single bolt of lightning crashed to the ground, engulfing my mother's form. When the light faded, she was still on her feet, but immobile. Her eyes were the only part of herself she still had control over, and I watched as a tear fell down her cheek as they cut to me, sorrow filling her pupils. I could smell the fear on her, or maybe it was coming from my own body. I realized now that I had released my bowels, and I prayed and prayed that the rat creature couldn't smell me too. The human clapped, clearly pleased with his companion's handiwork. We need to take her down easy, Pikachu. Can you handle that? Maybe just a tail whip. The rodent nodded and answered in what sounded like the affirmative. Pika! It spun, flinging its tail towards my mother's prone body. An errant stream of electricity flowed from the creature's appendage and connected with a similar strand still hovering on my mother's skin like a fine mist. The sparks it created set the grass around them on fire instantly, and the trainer scooped up the Pikachu and ran out of the forest, screaming for help. I moved then, attempting to combat the flames to get to my mother, who was still frozen in the same spot. I stuck out my arm to try and grab her and was instead latched onto by a rising wall of flame. I heard a flurry of human voices calling to each other in hurried tones, and with it came the sound of footsteps. I ran into the forest and kept watch behind a small, rotted stump. The humans came with buckets of water and thick blankets. They poured, they stomped, they beat the flames into submission. I noticed that the black-haired boy was not among them. One of the older humans shook his head, surveying the blackened ground. Ash has got to be more careful with that Pokemon of his. This whole forest could have burned. I know everyone has to learn, but Jesus. Many of the others vocalized their agreement, and they returned to their village. I waited until night to come away from my hiding place. My feet crunched through cracked and dry earth as I made my way towards my mother. There was nothing left of her now but a charred stack of bones. A sob expelled itself from my throat as I realized that I could never escape my destiny. I reached down and picked up her skull still warm from the dying embers surrounding it. I covered my head with it, inhaling the scent of smoke and ash. Ash. It's only fitting that the trainer's name was Ash. He and that mousy animal of his had to be destroyed one way or another. I grabbed a femur from the pile and the weight of it felt natural somehow. They would pay. They would all pay for taking my mother away from me. I wouldn't rest until their actions burned them from the inside out or vice versa. If I hurried, I could still make out their trail. Like I said, our lineage was cursed. Call it 
evolution, call it fate, call it whatever the hell you'd like. All I know is that after searching town after town, a trainer found me. He tried to catch or capture me unsuccessfully. I heard him mumbling to himself as he gave up, lamenting his luck. I can just hear my grandpa now. Gary, why can't you be more like Ash? You can't even catch a cue bone. God, I just want to take him down. Show Ash who's boss once and for all. Ash. I snapped to attention, rushing to catch up with the boy. He whipped around, expecting a fight, but I bowed my head in reference. He held out the same red and white ball that the Pikachu was encased in that fateful day. I met his eye and held out my claws. He pressed the button on the ball and my vision went black. I will be biding my time in this prison until Gary finds our foal and we will both exact our revenge. The end. Fuck off! <laughs> oh my god, Brent! <laughs> Welcome to our happy podcast! I will say the Gary Oak thing was a very beautiful twist at the end. Thank you very much. But, but also, I like to think that our listeners... When they listen to episodes, they're like, oh, who wrote the fan fiction this week? Oh, it's Scotty. Oh, there, there's got to be a fun, goofy story about, I don't know, maybe John Cena going to high school. Oh, Brenna wrote the story? Oh, my heart's about to get fucked. Like, just wrecked up. I'm, I, I, I honestly don't know if I know how to write happy things. <laughs> I really don't. Oh my god. It was just so much. My mother's pile of ashes. Ash. Ash, the name of the tra- You fucking asshole. Hee 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 Any first time listeners are like, these two are psychopaths. They're just laughing at this existential <laughs> crisis. They, they've killed multiple parents. They have uh, killed Griffin McElroy, Spiro, yeah. although technically Griffin did that, and then trapped a scyther in a ball where it was horrified in its new life. I, yeah, I, I just, I would hope that people love us and accept us for the, the really dark and twisty people that we are. I do love how in, like, segment one, just as a small aside, you're like, isn't it crazy how the how the fucking Q-bone is wearing the skull of its mother? And I'm like, oh, yeah, good. That means we're, we're that's probably the only time we're going to talk about that on this episode. Then you're like, nope, I'm bringing it back. I was definitely planting a seed in there that I was going to dredge up later. <laughs> A seed that would eventually grow into a beautiful tree that you would set on fire and kill everyone. <laughs> I can't wait to see how fanfiction.net responds. <laughs> They're just like, no. Oh, by the way, I uploaded Cena High School Host Club. Not a damn person interested no. in it. They're just. I know. I was like, come on. I'm tempted just to send it straight to John Cena on Twitter and be like, hey, bro, you like this shit? Hey, you touched me once. Read my fic. <laughs> Remember that time you shook my hand? Now read this shit. What's up? <laughs> oh, so, oh, fuck. Brenna, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me pretty much anywhere you want to look at Britasaur for Bulbasaur. B-R-E-N-N-A-S-A-U-R. And you could find me balled up in a corner... <laughs> 
sobbing. And then if you want to send me messages of it's going to be all right, you can do that at Scotty Mo on Twitter, S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. Same thing for Instagram. And then, of course, you can buy all my books on Amazon. They're not as fucking... Hey, no, it, don't lie. It, it, <laughs> don't fucking lie right now. I'm going to argue that nothing I've written in any of those books is as bad as wa- making a Cubone watch its mother die by setting it on fire. Oh, you don't, Scotty. Oh, you don't. <laughs> There's make many sure people that watch their mothers die. I'm just saying. <laughs> So, yeah, Scotty, just look up Scotty Moore, S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O-O-R-E, on Amazon, or go to audibletrial.com slash Network. pick up a free 30-day trial of Audible, and you can get Quiesel Corp or Quiesel Corp Risen absolutely free. It helps you, it supports us, it's a win-win opportunity, so check that out and check out all the other BS Network programs online at a load of pure BS dot com and remember to support us on patreon or by picking up some merch at merch dot a load of pure bs dot com ladies and gentlemen make sure to follow us on twitter at a load of b at a load of pure bs excuse me <laughs> we're we're that pure uncut shit so check all that out but until next time brenna stay away from baby Hitler! Baby Hitler, I choose you! <laughs> He's wearing his mom's skull. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs>